0: This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Welcome to Relevant Life Church, connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. You guys got it today. I'm glad to see you. It's been, uh, I was going to say, it's been a while since I've been in the pulpit. I wasn't in the pulpit last week. Did Pastor Rhonda do an amazing job? <laughs> she is on live stream right now, and uh, we say, good job, Rhonda. That was an f- amazing sermon uh, on, on dating. Uh, this relationship, ser- how many are enjoying the relationship series? How many are being a little bit challenged by the relationship series, regardless of what we're speaking about? I realize uh, that they all intertwine and we're all in those portions of life and ministry. Uh, I want to remind you uh, the announcement slide said it, but the verbal announcement was incorrect. Young Adults begins this Wednesday, and it's not at East Campus. Everyone say it's not at East Campus. Campus. It's at Trenton and Alley's house. Everyone say Trenton and Alley's house. Okay, so if you show up at East Campus, you're going to be here all by yourself, and um, you won't be able to get in because no one's going to be here to let you in. Uh, Also, I want to remind you that today is Connect Us Lunch. If you've signed up and and you forgot about that, we're counting on you to be here at at our South Campus. And if you did not sign up, there are a few spots left, and uh, Pastor Sasser has to leave. Pastor Sasser, that just sounds so whacked right. Sasser has to leave at, after the service, get over to South Campus to set up. So Pastor Sarah, would you stand real quickly? Uh, Pastor Sarah, well, if, if you want to see her because you want to come to our Connectus Lunch, uh, would you see her and she will make sure that the arrangements are made. And uh, we would love to have you come. You go, well, what is Connectus Lunch and why do we do it? Well, because we like to eat food for one. Uh, but we really want to get to know you better. So it's an opportunity for you to share about yourself and for us to share about ourselves, for you to ask us questions about the church and ask us questions about where, who we are and where we came from. And all of us are going to come back and say that we came from God, okay? So just so you really profound this morning. You guys are a hard crowd, and maybe it's because I'm not funny. I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, Relationship 101, I'm just going to shut up, and we're just going to move on, all right? Uh, relationship 101, we've been walking through the process of our relationship with God, that God defines every part of us, right? Everyone say, God defines me. God defines me. And then we started talking about singleness and the importance and the gift of singleness and how that is valued in our lives. Um, And today, and last week we talked about dating, and today we're going to be talking about this aspect of marriage. Probably in the room there's more people that are married than are not, and I'm endeavoring to go, how do we uh, apply marriage to everyone? But the reality is is, uh, everyone has observed marriage at one time or another, right? Because we came from a home of some sort, whether it's been positive or negative, Uh, All of us have observed it, whether we've, uh, or some of us have actually participated in it, whether it's been good or not. Uh, Some have scars from it. Some have blessings from it. But this topic of marriage is a very vital topic. All of these topics are very important. And what I realize is that they all intertwine. They all connect together. Um, The thing that is, that many of us forget about is that we started out single, and can I tell you today, we're going to end up single. When we stand before Jesus, we're not standing together with the person we're dating or the person we're married to or the children we've had. We're standing before Jesus as a single individual. So this concept that we have is that we have to always go back to who we are in Jesus. The series premise that we've been looking at is every other, relation, every other healthy relationship flows out of your right and healthy relationship with God. Out of your right and healthy relationship with God. How many in this room can say that you are in a constant state of growing in God? If you're not, man, you're stalled, okay? If you're not, I I wonder about if you're even alive. Uh, There's a place, can I tell you that it, this, our relationship with God, for it to stay healthy and growing, we have to do something about it. God's done all that He's going to do. He's going to continue to draw us. He's going to continue to love us, but there's something that's demanded of us, and so we think about that concept to go, if God is a a continual growing experience, shouldn't all the other relationships be a continual growing experience? Should we not be finding out that in our own lives? Today, uh, this overview, this beginning, this truths that I'm going to try to approach to this concept of marriage is going to be very rapid. There's going to be some things that I felt the Holy Spirit has communicated to me, and I've titled the message, After You Say I Do. After You Say I Do. And uh, some of you today may be going, I don't want to say I do. I want to say I do. Or man, I wish I wouldn't have said I do. I don't know where it is that you're falling that category, but... Marriage is, per, is a pursued dream oftentimes in our society. It's a long-forward, long-longed-for relationship. Uh, it's one of the most fulfilling human relationships that we can have on planet Earth. But it's also one of the most grieving and hard relationships on planet Earth. Married couples, can you say amen to that? So we can find pleasure and we can find joy, but we find challenge. We find this stretching in our lives. So here we reach this, 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 uh, this goal of marriage, and what do we do after we're married? We oftentimes just think, well, it's all going to take care of itself. We're just, men are going to come back and go, we're just going to have sex every day, and it's going to be great. But as Rhonda did so amazing last week to say that sex is just a small portion of your relationship. Even though we as men might obsess about it, it's not the thing that is the predominant thing. And we've got to come back and go, how do we navigate our relationship. Today, I don't preach this message in any way, shape, or form because I have any of the answers. I'm still on a journey. I'm still practicing. And to be truthfully honest with you, my heart today is to point you back to the principles of God's Word because God is always right. And God is always good. And my father-in-law is here, and he always made a statement that he goes, I don't preach God's word because, it's, because I'm right. I preach God's word because it's right. And so today, I don't come based on anything, bragging about anything, because I can tell you right now, I have struggled all week long, realizing I have to stand up here and preach about this amazing thing called marriage and realize that I feel like I've been an extreme failure in a lot of ways, especially over this last year in our, one of the greatest trials of our life. And probably all of you can identify at moments where your heart condemns you. Husband or wife, right? Where your heart condemns you. Where you go, I don't have any answers. Maybe you're here today and you go, I have all the answers. And I'm going, then share them with us. (laughs) But the reality is this. We all come with brokenness in our lives. And we can either err on the side of far brokenness or we can err on the side of arrogance. And I can tell you this, I know that we are all human in this room and that everyone is going to struggle in their marriage. They're going to have blessings, but they're going to have struggles. So that's the, that's the avenue that we're going to leap from this morning. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you, pray for myself. Would you just lift your hands to heaven today across this room? God, I, tell, I thank you that you are the originator of marriage. I thank you that you are the author of this relationship. And God, even though we don't understand it, even though your word declares that it's a great mystery, God, today we are coming to understand it a little bit better. And Jesus, you are the master of speaking grace and truth. God, today I pray that you would anoint our ears and our hearts to see grace, but to also hear truth. God, I pray that our soil would be receptive and that our lives would be changed. God, whether we're single, whether we're dating, or whether we're married, whether we're divorced, whether we're widowed, God, whatever state we may be in, that the truths of this message would somehow speak to us because, God, your word is always truth and it will always bring life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to challenge you not to check out today. You may be going, well, I'm not married. I don't plan on getting married, or I have been married, and I know the truth, and blah, 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 blah. Can I tell you today that you are going to come in contact with someone someday, whether it's today, tomorrow, or two years from now, that are going to need these truths. So I encourage you. Can I tell you, it's important to take notes, pull out your, pull out your phone, pull out a sheet of paper, write some stuff down this morning. Uh, before Ron and I got married, she told me, uh, honey, we don't have to go on a honeymoon. You know, I just love you so much. We don't have to go on a honeymoon. And actually, those weren't quite the words that she said. This is actually her words. She said, Kevin, I'm marrying you as last resort. <laughs> she really didn't say that. that was, uh, but anyway, you know, I think uh, you, ha- you have to somewhere laugh about marriage. We have to learn to laugh in marriage, do we not? We have to learn to see the humor in two human beings coming together to make one, uh, two different human beings coming together to make one. I believe that unless God is the very foundation of our marriage, it is not going to last. Marriage is a very controversial subject In America today, around our world today, there's a lot of individuals that are trying to define, redefine, reinterpret, understand, try to live it out. And today we're part of something bigger than what we realize Today, what I'm preaching about is not just what's going to happen in this room today or the next 50 years with the person you're living with, but what's going to happen today is a reality, hopefully, that once again, the idea of marriage is going to be planted into our hearts, into our lives, because we're not just living for ourselves. We're living for the generations after us. Where our marriages are planting seeds, not just for today and the person you're married to. They're planting seeds for your children and your children's children. Our marriages today are going to be an inspiration. Our marriages today are going to be a discouragement. Whatever they are and how we walk those out is not a place of condemnation. It's a place to go, I need to be conscientious of how I'm walking it out. My desire today is to give strength in order to stormproof your marriage. When the storms come, and I say when because how many know storms come? When the storms come. When they come, oftentimes we think that we're going to step into marital bliss and everything's going to be fantastic. And you have, and they call that the honeymoon season. And then the reality happens that, oh, there's two different people living in this house and we don't really aren't as compatible as we thought we were. Storms will come, whether those storms come in the fashion of a disagreement or a misunderstanding or how you're going to raise your children or in the form of cancer or in the form of loss or in the form of sexual incompatibility or in the form of attraction to someone different than your spouse. All of those areas are going to be storms that we all have to face. And in a culture today that does not agree with your conviction and my conviction and biblical conviction about marriage, we have to know today what is marriage in God's eyes. Godly marriages are built on principles that are out of this world. They're not built on the principles of America. They're not principles that we can come back and go, no, this is the stabilization of what marriage is. Jesus declares in his own words in the gospels that we're not of this world, that his kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, we not, we're not to live our lives or our marriages by the principles of this world. We must follow the pattern of the kingdom. And our definition of marriage, our idea of marriage, how we approach marriage, how we approach relationships does not come from this world. How many today can honestly admit that your marriage, your relationships have been swayed or influenced by the things of the world? They have. You may not be honest enough to recognize them or even want to raise your hand, but they they have been influenced by. And the danger that we have today is that we can pick up behaviors and pick up actions and pick up definitions of without even realizing that we've picked them up. That's why Paul comes in Romans chapter 12, he says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern, the imprint, the influence of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, renewing of your life. What I've realized is this, worldliness makes sin look normal and righteousness look odd. When we think about our lives as Christians today, this idea of allowing the pattern of the world to influence our definition of marriage, worldliness makes, makes, makes it look normal, that this is what normal marriage is, that people just get divorced, that people just sleep around, that people are unfaithful, and that's just normal. Is that not what we see on TV? And righteousness is not odd, and it's our job as Christians not to transform the world because that's Jesus' job. But it's our job as individual married people to transform their perception of marriage as we walk out marriage correctly. What I realize today is that we're, we're having to reject a world in this perspective. If you believe in marriage as God defines it in the Bible, you are looked upon as a bigot. You're looked upon as hateful. You're looked upon as narrow-minded. You're looked upon as possibly unloving and perhaps a homophobe. Can I tell you today that marriage in itself is pre-political, pre-government? It was never designed by a a group of people that had an agenda. It was defined thousands of years ago by the God who designed and created men and women. He defined it this way. He said, marriage was the permanent union of one man and one woman. What I realized this morning that I'm speaking about a topic that people could be sending emails and getting all upset about to go, Kevin, you're anti-relationship, you're anti-people, you're narrow-minded. But what I realized that's even harder for me to grasp is that all the young people in this room, 35 and below, they're swayed extremely by our culture. They're swayed extremely by our culture, and the culture has been defining and redefining and re-navigating what marriage is. And what I realize is this, is that if you as a believe, young believer come to this stance to go, no, I believe that God is the author of marriage, you are the one that's going to be judged very harshly. You're not going to fit into culture. But I ask you this, would you rather fit into the world? Oh, would you rather fit into the kingdom? And the reality is, is we have to come back and go, God, why do I do what I do? What is the purpose of all of these things? God did not create marriage to give us just this pleasant means of repopulating the world and providing a steady societal institution to raise children in. He planted marriage among humans as yet another signpost of pointing to, to his eternal and spiritual existence. Gary Thomas says this, if happiness is our primary goal, we'll get a divorce as soon as happiness seems to wane. If receiving love is our primary goal, we'll dump our spouse as soon as they seem to be less attentive to us. But if we marry for the glory of God, to model His love and commitment to our children and to reveal His witness to the world, divorce never makes sense. As we come and we dialogue this concept I don't know, I, I could ask for a raise of hands if, if you've ever felt or if you've ever thought, but I know humanity today, so there's probably has flowed through all of our minds this idea of, is this marriage going to last? What, what, what is divorce? Blah, blah, blah. We've, we've all navigated because we're human beings, whether we've observed someone else or we've had it in our own lives. And today, In our culture, we have this opposition against marriage, where marriage is not honored. Marriage is no longer, uh, it has become an institution and not a covenant. It has become a convenience and not a covenant. And today, I want to talk about this aspect of what do we do after we're married, after we say I do, and how do we hold marriage in honor? Hebrews chapter 13 says this. One simple verse today for our text. Let marriage be held in honor by all, Let marriage be held in honor by all. And it goes on in that verse of Scripture. Uh, and the, let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And I ask you today, do you hold marriage in high honor? Your perspective of marriage today has been shaped either by the Word of God, by a family member, by your parents, by the world, by a sitcom... Do you hold marriage in high honor today? This verse is such a timely passage of Scripture for us. It's extremely relevant for us today as just as extremely relevant it was for them when the author wrote it. This sermon as it was being read or this book as it was being read or preached, however it was being trans, transfi, transferred over, it was very very, diffi- it was very, very relevant for their situation because they were struggling in themselves with the understanding of marriage. The author in chapter 13, he's coming, he's talking about the importance of relationships in full facet. And we're not going to go back to one, one through three. I want to hear just this part, portion of four. But God wants us to be in a, out of alignment with the world and into alignment with his word. And we live in a world that does not honor marriage. We live in a society that does not value the concept of marriage. When the Hebrews, when the book of Hebrews was written, marriage was under attack Many held a low view of marriage. There were two primary views that the author was speaking to. Number one was they were saying, one group was saying that marriage was too restrictive. That it couldn't just be one man or one woman. That many in that society from that sect of people on the one far extreme were going, no, I, I, I'm marrying for convenience. I'm marrying for title. But I need to have multiple partners to bring satisfaction. On the other spectrum, there was the term ascetism, which is that that desire of of self-denial and self-punishment. And they were actually coming and saying they devalued marriage because they saw marriage as too indulgent. So we have these extremes. Whether those extremes are in our culture today or not, how many know that there's extremes in our culture about marriage? And the author is coming and saying, He's wanted to challenge this low view. He's wanted to bring us back to a place of how do we honor marriage? This word honor is to highly respect. Highly respect. It is something that is precious. Everyone say precious. precious. And valued. When we think of this word precious or this word that's translated, this Greek word that's translated to honor, is also a word that I want to just give you three scenarios. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it says, and he's talking about gold, silver, and precious stones. He's saying when we honor something, we value it as precious. First, first Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it says, in reference to the precious blood of Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, according to the precious and great promises of God. So the, so the Greek word here is a very important word. When we talk about honor, it's talking about something that's held precious to us. John Piper said this, the Bible is telling us, let marriage always be thought of as precious. Let it be treasured like gold, silver, and rare jewels. Let it be revered and respected like the noblest, most virtuous person you have ever known. Let it be esteemed and valued as something terribly costly. In other words, When you think of marriage, let it be gripped by emotions and tremendous respect and sanctity. In relation to marriage, cultivate the feeling that it is not to be touched quickly, handled casually, or treated commonly. I ask you today, in light of this statement of John Piper, how do you honor marriage? Have you approached it in such a way That it is out of preciousness, out of value. I realize that many of us don't understand what marriage is until we actually get into marriage. We have a perceived understanding. We have a perceived view, a perceived picture, an image that is there, whether it's a positive or negative, or we're thinking we're going to be better than because we're better than. But do we really come back to a place of honor? Today, I want to look at eight really quick principles of how we can honor marriage. Many of these are going to point directly towards those who are married. Number one, we honor marriage by investing in each other. We honor marriage by investing in each other. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse one says this, therefore encourage, everyone says encourage, encourage one another and build each other up. Everyone say build each other up encourage and build each other up, Uh, deposit regularly, invest in each other. Today, everyone in this room, every person has a relational bank account. You either deposit or you withdraw, much like our regular financial bank accounts. When you're depositing money and investing money and saving money, all of us in this room feel more secure and more safe that we have money over here that's our blessed savings. You have freedom to spend. You have freedom to buy wisely. It is, the same, it is the same in relationship, especially with your spouse. When we have a healthy relationship balance, our marriage is secure. Tough things can happen, but there is enough in the account to cover the relational expense or rela- relational withdrawal. But if you're spending more, more literally or relationally than is being deposited, you eventually will overdraw your account. Anybody in this room ever overdraw your account? Overdraw your banking account. How many realize the snowball effect when you overdraw, right? It's like you think it's there and you write a check, and then or usually it's a couple checks and it's just like it's this snowball effect, and all of a sudden you go, Oh my word. Fortunately, today we have electronic banking and we're able to check a lot quicker than we used to, so we're more aware. But there's a deficit. It go, we go deeper. Wisdom is balancing our checkbook. I hate balancing our checkbook. Thank God for my wife. But can I tell you, it's not just balancing your checkbook, it's balancing your marital relationship. It's taking assessment of how is your bank account in your marriage? Am I depositing or am I just withdrawing? Costly fees can come and they can snowball. When we live acting like we have actual money to spend, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, when we live overdrawn or beyond our actual deposits, we begin to live on credit. Anybody ever been guilty in your life to live on credit? Early on in Ron as I married marriage, we lived on credit, the plastic as well as the relational. Our bank account was empty, was zero. We were not depositing well at all. When we live on overdrawn, it's that thing called credit. We don't have actual money to spend. But the problem with living on credit is that it isn't our money or our deposits that we're living on. We're making a lot of assumptions. There have been hard times in our lives and our marriages, and we've, we've made a lot of assumptions. When you live on a relational credit long enough, one of the, uh, one or, one or the other begins to say, I'm tired of living broke in my relationship. I'm tired of living on empty. I'm tired of debt, and I'm tired of credit. I'm tired of not having anything to show for in this relationship. Eventually, someone gets to the place of going, I don't want to live this way anymore. And then being to go, where am I getting deposits from? And can I tell you, that's the beginning of when relationship, well, I shouldn't say it's the beginning of when relationships become dysfunctional, but it's, that's the beginning of when affairs can step in because you begin to look to go, where am I getting deposited in in my life? We need to make more deposits than withdrawals. We need to live conscious of our relational bank account. Real quickly, I want to walk through real real quick. How do you do that? Focus on their strengths and not their weaknesses. Focus on their strengths, not their weaknesses. Can I tell you today, you're sitting here going, I'm not married. Can I tell you how you help those that are married? Help them focus on their strengths and not their weaknesses. Help them point out what's good, not what's bad. Encourage rather than criticize. Encourage rather than criticize. Date your spouse. Live curious. Live discovering. Don't think you know it all. Ask questions. Pray for them rather than try to fix them. Can I tell you as I'm reading these off? These are things that Kevin has done in our my marriage. Things I've realized, these don't work. Treat as your equal, don't talk down to. Can I tell you that your spouse is your equal, whether they're male or female? That God didn't make you second class in any way, shape, or form. You are a partner in marriage. Be quick to listen. Can I tell you, men, shut up long enough and listen to your wives. Listen. Everyone say listen. Listen. Listen is not just hearing words go through or a noise. There's usually words behind that noise. Decipher the words. And through that process of seeking to listen, seek to understand. Can I tell you how much understanding is, how valuable understanding is in showing value and making deposits? Make them your priority. Make them your priority. I can tell you, years when we had children in the house, I hate to say it, we had great kids, and I had a lot of priority on my children rather than on my wife. Make them your priority. I know that today in this world, if you are if you have kids in the home, that's difficult. But that's why it goes: date your spouse. Date your spouse. Last one is speak their love language. Gary Smalley, an act, a book that's amazing. And I'll tell you this, the love language changes. Ron and I just took the love language and she's never been an act of service person. And I've been giving her words of affirmation and and physical affection and da, la, la, la. And now she's come back going, no, I want acts of service. I'm like going, that's not you. What happened? (laughs) Who took over your body? (laughs) Be a student of your Spouse. As you look at your life this morning, whether you're married, whether you're not, have you've been in honor of marriage or not, would you give yourself a score of 1 to 10? Rate yourself. Don't rate your spouse. Don't rate the person you're in relationship with. Would you rate yourself this morning? Where would you give yourself? 1 being low, 10 being high. I'm not asking you to ask your spouse at this moment, how would they rate you? Number two, we honor marriage by fostering intimacy. Intimacy is detailed knowledge of or deep understanding of closeness into me see. Can I tell you that the foundation of intimacy demands transparency? When you look at the very root of transparency, it's actually nakedness. When we come back to this concept of transparency, it's being naked before your spouse. It's being naked in this relationship. And all this men said, yes, amen. Amen. We like naked. You're acting awkward out there. But transparency transparency authenticity is the key to true intimacy. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is talking about physical intimacy, and I'm gonna I want to apply it to several here in just a second, but 1 Corinthians chapter 7 it says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And the likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. And what I want to come back to is this concept: intimacy is relinquishing authority. Intimacy is saying, No, you owe me, you you own me, and I own you. That's transparency. It's mutual authority. And I want to challenge you today that many of us fail in this investing in, in intimacy because we don't steward our intimacy well. We've abused our intimacy. The world has abused this concept of intimacy. We look at it as an act rather than a process. We looked at it as fulfillment rather than Connection. Sexual intimacy is the first kind of intimacy. It's powerful. And can I tell you that God designed sexual intimacy to foster all the other intimacies? So there's sexual intimacy. There's relational intimacy. Are you transparent and authentic with your wife in relationship or your, your husband in relationship? Is there emotional intimacy where there's trust and reliance where there's openness and nakedness in that process. Is there spiritual intimacy? Is there recre- recreational intimacy? Is there intellectual intimacy? As I begin to think of all these areas of my life over the last 35 years in relationship with Rhonda, can I tell you that some grow and some wane? Some are great and some are low. Some, some excel and some back off in areas. But those are all those forms that we need to step into to go, God, how am I fostering intimacy in my marriage? How do we foster intimacy? You're going, but I'm a teenager at home and I'm going, don't be the division in your parents' relationship. Foster intimacy for your, children, for your parents' relationship. Can I tell you today that we have so much opposition in our culture? Kids never intend to divide relationships. Jobs never set out to divide a relationship, but all of those things can come in and they can interact or interrupt intimacy. Point number three, we honor marriage by living in faithfulness. Everyone say faithfulness. Faithfulness. Sat in a wedding last night and the vows were being made and there's a whole understanding new understanding In my mind about these marriage vows, that I blank take you blank to be my lawful wedded spouse, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. And I pledge my faithfulness. Everyone say faithfulness. I pledge my faithfulness. Faithfulness is not a one time pledge, faithfulness is not a one time decision. Faithfulness is a daily decision. When we say our vows at the uh, the altar, we promise to be faithful one to another. We promise this loyalty to our spouse as a foundation. We say that, no, regardless of what happens, we're committed. But there's a big thing that happens in the regardless. Because we don't understand the regardless. I want to challenge you today, as you made your vows however many years ago, You said those words with intent and with purpose. But I guarantee at the moment, just like for me, I didn't comprehend the meaning of those words. We don't understand faithfulness until that faithfulness is being challenged. We don't understand faithfulness until that emotion is not there. We don't understand faithfulness until you experience the worse rather than the better. We don't understand faithfulness until we understand the poor rather than the richer. We don't understand faithfulness until we understand the sickness rather than health. We don't understand love and cherish until we understand that, no, I don't feel those feelings right now. Mark chapter 10 says this, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. What God has joined together let no one separate. Let what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's where we come together and we go, this is a covenant between a man and a woman and before their God. What God has joined together. Yes, we have made these flashy marriage ceremonies and we have lots of people that come to to observe and we do it as witnesses to people. But can I tell you today, It's more about what's happening between the couple and God than it is between the couple and the audience. And we've flip-flopped it. We've made it a a show. We've made it a, a, who can have the nicest, most flashy wedding in the greatest venue? Rather than realizing it's about our joining before God. We live in an instant society. We live in a quick-fix society. The five easy steps to live a successful life. Five easy steps to have a happy marriage. We also live in a society that's a throwaway society. But enduring relationships take work. They take a lot of work. They take a lot of work. Right, Phil? Right, right, Anne-Marie? Those of you that have been married for longer than five years, ten years, they take a lot of work. The vow that we repeated must be walked out on a daily basis. These ideas, these comprehensions go, no, I, whether I forget all the previous part, but I choose to be faithful. Everyone say faithful. faithful. In a culture that's unfaithful, in a culture that's based on a contract, we as Bible believers say, no, marriage is about faithfulness. Number four, we honor marriage by displaying respect. Respect. Marion Webster's defines respect as high esteem and deep admiration. It's that next level respect. And as married couples, we're meant to give the highest regard to one another. How many have found yourself give, guilty of giving your best at the job and your second at home? How many have found yourself guilty of giving your best to your children and your second to your spouse? Can I tell you today, that's the foundation we call respect. This deep admiration to. We show respect in the way that we speak to one another. We show respect in how we behave toward one another. The way that we conduct ourselves both in and out of our homes. You say, well, they know me the best. I'm so thankful that I can just be real with them. Can I tell you that you can be real with them, but when you push past respect and deep admiration, that's called abuse. And you need to come to a place to go, no, I respect you enough to speak rationally to you. I speak rationally to everybody else. I love you enough. I admire you enough that I'm going to behave correctly. I'm not going to just cut out all the stops and just behave just because that's me. First Peter chapter 3 says this, in the same way you husbands give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding. Everyone say understanding. Husbands, your job is to understand your wife. Your job is to understand the differences, to respect the differences, to admire the differences. Your job is to go, how do I understand them and how do I walk out understanding Ephesians 5.33 30, says this, however, each one of you uh, husbands must love their wives and he, as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Both of those are commands. Both of those are expectations to go, no, that doesn't mean you can cut it loose and just behave however you want. How do we honor marriage? We honor marriage by stepping in and going, no, I have the thing called self-control, and if you don't have self-control, you better figure it out. Your spouse doesn't deserve disrespect. I love Romans 12.10. It says, honor one another. What? Above yourself. Can I tell you when I step into my my space of respecting or not respecting, it's not me keeping score. It's me going, I got to respect her more than I respect me. I got to admire her more than I admire me. I got to place her higher than I'm placing me. Anybody battle with that? Anybody struggle with that? But that's what calls us back to this level of respect. Respect the differences of your spouse. Respect the role of your spouse. Respect the voice of your spouse. Number five, we honor marriage by bearing with one another. This bearing with one another, I'm going to talk about irritation. Everyone, irritation. Say irritation. As Pastor Ronder talked last week about the voice that is like that fingernails on a chalkboard. All of us, whether we want to admit it or not, have areas of our lives that get irritated. Anybody ever get irritated? I know today, she's not in here to backtalk me right now, so she's probably typing fiercely on. (laughs) We just need the reader up there going, what's she saying right now? I know today... That Rhonda has to bear with me in my irritations. After 35 years of marriage, I know I'm like really awesome. And I'm a great catch. (laughs) But there are also things that I do that irritate. Right? How many are honest enough to be able to step back and go, no, there's probably little idiosyncrasies in my life that are irritating. That we've learned to dwell with. We've learned to bear with one another. Ephesians 4.2 says this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Everyone say patience. patience. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. You married the person. You knew that they weren't perfect. There's little irritations that are going to be there. And you bear with one another. You're patient with them. You don't try to fix them. Right? Anybody guilty of been trying to f- fix someone? This idea of bearing with one another is choosing to look beyond those things. Accepting the fact that you also have things that irritate them. I think many times when we get to this point of irritation, we're like going, "Ah!" we need to step back and take a deep breath and go, no, there's things I do that are irritating. There's things I do that she has to bear with me in life. I guarantee you one of the conversations we're going to have right after this is done honey, what is it that irritates you Irritates you about me? Number six, we honor marriage by learning to forgive quickly. We talk about irritations, now we're talking about offenses. I don't know what situation you've been on in your marriage. I don't know if there's been infidelity. I don't know if there's been pornography. I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's just been separation in your relationship. and You're going, Kevin, that's really extreme. Well, maybe it's just minor. Maybe you lied or maybe you were dishonest. Maybe you haven't been transparent. Whatever it might be, those are all severe things that can create disruption in a relationship. But can I tell you today, there is no offense, no offense that is greater than God's love. And today, when we talk about how do we honor marriage, we learn to forgive quickly. We learn to forgive quickly. The reality is is we can all cause offense, whether knowingly or unknowingly. I know today and probably all of you in this room who are tormentors as a husband like I am, I know exactly what I can do that I could torment Rhonda instantly and get a reaction out of her. Anybody aware of your own spouse enough? Right? You know what you could do? So there's those knowing things that we do, And there's those unknowing things that we do that can create offense in our lives, and we're the ones that determine the outcome. Colossians chapter 3 says this, be gentle and be ready. Everyone say ready. Ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. A phrase in our lives that needs to be very, very common and one that I will be honest with and my wife is going to shout amen online is I'm not good at saying, I'm sorry. Two very simple words, but I'm not good at saying I'm sorry. I can say I forgive you if you say you're sorry first. Paul uses this word, be gentle and be ready to forgive. Can I tell you that God lives ready to forgive us? We need to live to be ready to forgive others, especially our spouses. It's so easy for us to harbor feelings of anger, for us to feel justified in an offense. But they said or they did. But unless... uh, Unless you, you get rid of that anger in your life, can I tell you what happens? Is it produces a toxic aspect in your marriage? I'm speaking from someone who understands unforgiveness. Ron and I, living four or five years of our first years of marriage in unforgiveness and resentment towards one another, and it created a toxic environment. There was no winning. It was detrimental. As you forgive, that means you don't keep score. I came across a statement several years back. that says, don't regret, don't begrudge, don't resent the past, but build the future. Can I tell you, when we walk in unforgiveness, we're, all we're doing is regretting, begrudging, and resenting, and we're filling up the past, and we're exalting the past rather than going, no, there's a future There's a destination I'm going to. I'm going to choose to not live in this and dwell in this. I want to live in that. I want to build something different. Number seven, we honor marriage by choosing to love unconditionally. The only way that all the above can happen is that we have experienced this unconditional love of God. And we choose to walk in the unconditional love of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a passage of scripture that we read at weddings and we oftentimes don't dwell on enough, but love is patient. Are you patient? Love is kind. Are you kind? Love does not envy. Are you envious? Love does not boast. Are you boastful? Love is not proud. Is there a form of arrogance in your life? Love does not dishonor others. Are you dishonoring your spouse? Love is not self-seeking. Is your marriage filled with self-seeking? Love is not easily angered. Are you always angry? Love keeps no records of wrongs. Do you have the list on your phone? Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Love, God's love, Your love husbands, your love wives, we're called to protect, we're called to trust, we're called to hope, and we're called to always persevere. That's the love that we're reaching for. That's the love that we're striving for. And as we hear that, we're going, well, there's just no way I'm condemned. No, God's not saying you're condemned. God's going, keep trying. Keep going. Love is a choice. Number eight, last one. We honor marriage, probably the most important one that applies to all of these. We honor marriage by taking personal responsibility. Personal responsibility is when you take full accountability for your actions and for your decisions and for your thoughts. When you hold yourself responsible, it leaves little room for any blame games. Can I tell you that as younger and I can still be guilty of it to go, well, I would do this if Rhonda would do this. Taking full responsibility removes her from the equation. Taking full responsibility puts me back before God as a single individual. And can I tell you that I'm going to stand before God on judgment day with me and him, not us and him. You're going to stand before God on judgment day with you and just you and God. And we oftentimes try to come back and go, well, I, well, God, just let me explain. God, you don't understand And God goes, I don't play the blame game. I play the responsibility game. Barnett Brickner says this, success in marriage does not come merely through finding the right mate, but through being the right mate. We talk about singleness, being the right person. We talk about dating, being the right person, being who you are and finding the right person. Can I tell you, being the right person in marriage is just as important as finding the right person in marriage? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ so, each, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done. Your marriage today is your individual responsibility. Your happiness in your marriage is your individual responsibility. All of these aspects that we've talked about is your individual responsibility. No one is going to fight for your marriage for you. No one is is going to honor your marriage vows for you. You have to fight for and prioritize your marriage. You have to pursue your spouse. You have to modify your priorities. You have to adjust your heart. You have to take responsibility for you. And maybe today you're here going, I've let go of some of these important things in my life. Can I tell you this? You can pick them back up. If you've lost that loving feeling, God can restore you again. You can begin to practice these things all over again. You can choose. All of these are fixable. Can I tell you today, there is absolutely no problem in relationships that is too big for God. God is not... In, threatened by inability to restore a marriage. God can help you fix it, but it's your responsibility to do the things necessary to do whatever it takes to repair that breach. The question we have to ask ourselves today in our responsibility, where am I vulnerable? Where are you vulnerable? What what needs to happen for you to prioritize your marriage? What is it that needs to happen in your life to take more responsibility for you in your marriage? Where have you left a hole? Where have you allowed the little fox to creep in? Today it's your responsibility to fix those areas. As I close, Levi Lesko, he just put out a book, Last Supper on the Moon. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a pastor in Montana. He tells a story about an astronaut in this book, and he says the astronaut was walking through NASA, and he was looking at the, at the ship that would take him to the moon, realizing that there were 5,600,000 parts that made up this ship. And he realized this thing. I'm trusting my life to all of them who have put this ship together. He ends up meeting one of the technicians and he expresses this thought to them and, and the technician's response is this, sir, I can't imagine what's going on, what it's going to be like for you to ride this craft, but I can tell you this, this ship will not fail because of what I have done. The reason this trip and this ship worked was because 400,000 people came together and they made this statement, it won't, be, it won't fail because of what I do. How do we honor marriage today? We come to a place of committing to go, this ain't gonna fail because of what I do. It's not gonna fail because what I do. And you step back and go, well, I'm not married. Can I tell you as a single how you honor marriage? You're gonna help promote the institution of marriage on how you honor it by going, it's not gonna fail based on how I act and how I behave. If you're here divorced and you've been hurt and you've been extremely gone through the ring or whatever that might be, that's not a second-class citizen. But can I tell you today that many of us can be tainted by what marriage did to us rather than come back and going, no, that was not the right kind of marriage. God has a different picture of marriage. And stepping into it and going, no, I'm going to honor the institution of marriage by how I talk about it, by how I think about it, by how I support those who who are in it. This morning I hear the Holy Spirit asking us this question, wanting us to declare of our own marriages. It won't fail because of what I do. It won't fail because of what I do. Will you say that with me? It won't fail because of what I do. Do you believe that this morning? It won't fail because of what I do. It's coming to a place of going, I'm taking individual responsibility, whether I'm married or whether I'm not, whether I'm divorced or whether I'm not, whether I'm single or whether I'm not. It won't the institution of marriage will not fail because of what I do. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, as I close, it says, Though one may be overpowered and two can defend themselves, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. How do we honor marriage? Most importantly, we put God at the very center of it all. He's got to be what, we're, what we're, we're founding it on. We began with God. We're single with God. We're, dated with God, we're dating with God. We're married with God. God's got to be what fills us. And he's the one that holds this strand, these three strands together. He's the one that keeps us safe and keeps us secure. Would you stand to your feet this morning across this room, regardless of what situation you may be in in your life. Your eyes closed, your heads bowed. Don't want anyone looking around because I want transparency this morning, but you can say today, Pastor Kevin, I've not honored marriage the way that I should. Whether you're married, whether you're single, I've not honored marriage the way that I should. I feel challenged today once again to step into this aspect of honoring marriage. Would you lift your hands across this room? It's not to me, it's unto Jesus. I wanna honor marriage differently. I wanna honor marriage better. God, today, in the name of Jesus, you see every life. You see every person that has come, and even though they may understand the concepts, they may not have walked it out correctly. God, I thank you that you're a God of forgiveness, that you're a God of restoration, that the Holy Spirit is present in our lives and in our marriages. And God, today, we want to restore the concept of honor in marriage. May it be held in honor by all. And God, today, we're not here to transform America. We're here to transform our marriage. And God, as we transform our marriage, people are going to be able to see that it's an honorable thing. God, empower us today. Empower us today. One last thing, if you'd raise your hands across this room, all of us together today, and if you would declare with me, it won't fail because of me. God, today, we come before you and we say, it won't fail because of me. Come on, it won't fail because of me. God, as we evaluate our hearts and our lives, as we evaluate our brokenness, God, we bring it all to you and we say, Holy Spirit, empower us, empower us to be the husband, the wife, the individual that glorifies and honors you. And God, we thank you for the institution of marriage. We thank you that we're all products of marriage in one fashion or another. God, we ask that you'd bless each one today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. If you're here today and you need prayer, our prayer team is, one's here, another one probably is on their way, but our prayer team is here to pray for you, whatever your needs may be. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in anointing with oil. We believe that it's not a magical thing that takes place. It's a biblical principle that takes place and we know that God can meet you right where you're at. If you're here today and you did not sign up for the Connect Us Lunch and you wanna come right after second service, make sure you see Pastor Sarah. Otherwise, we'll see you next week, uh, continuing on on Relationships 101. God bless. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this, Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.